Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and get started here. Um, all right. If you grab a seat, we'll get started. Okay. Well, um, do just want to tell you one more time. Just want to tell you good morning. All right. Awesome response. Welcome to the Firehouse Church. My name's Rich. If I haven't got to meet you, I'd, I'd love to meet you. Um, Let's see, I guess we'll start by saying, have you ever had one of those mornings where you wish you had an extra hour of sleep? Yes, anyone, anyone? Amen, all right. Have you ever had one of those mornings where you wish you had two extra hours of sleep? Can I get an amen again? All right, good. We had, um, oh, you know, one of the features we have around our home is that the, the coffee pot actually adjusted for daylight savings, a special feature also known as my wife, you know, she helped uh, program that in advance there. But um, let's, I agree with Ned. Ned was talking about the daylight savings things on the phone. You know, it's kind of always a, a gamble. Do you think it's going to adjust automatically and you set your time based on that? Or do you think it's not going to adjust and you set your time that way? And we, my wife and I took different paths on that this morning. And so I got up at the time I intended to and uh, she did not. Um, but by the time the dust settled, she was much more ready for this morning than myself. And she got herself and a bunch of kids in tow here to church before me. So anyways, uh, but I'm glad you made a choice to join us here this morning. We're starting a new series, um, and it's called Heaven Is. And so we'll, we'll talk a little more about what, what that's going to be all about here. And I'll share with you kind of my part of that this morning. But we're also going to do... Um, a special song this morning here, just kind of related to the message to help set the stage. And in just a second, we'll, we'll welcome up uh, Sarah, who's going to do that song for us. But I've had the privilege of getting to know Sarah and Jason, uh, the fiancé, who's the fiancé and the fiancé, whatever that means there. Um, but they, they, be, they started coming to church this summer, and they happened to come about the time we were doing the membership class. So they just jumped right into becoming members, along with a number of other people. And I've also gotten to know them through the pre-marriage class, and so that's been fun to get to know them and some of the other couples. I think about Justin and Sarah here, Meg and Perry, um, Craig and Angela, we've seen them in that as well. But uh, last yesterday we had a, a, I forget which number we're up to now on our sessions, but we had a session for our pre-marriage class on, on communication and conflict. You know, those are just, they go hand in hand sometimes, communication and conflict. And so we had a a great time studying that. We actually put the couples in these unique situations of having conflict in a group setting. And so we tried to, I tried to kind of control and navigate that a little bit there. But uh, everyone is still together this morning. It's good. So anyways, but all that I just wanted to say, why don't you guys give a, a Sarah a warm welcome here as she does a special song for us.
sun in my eyes, swat that clumsy fly, woke me up from a dream about heaven, smelling coffee downstairs, yawn a quick little prayer, and get up at a quarter to seven. Catches my stare, got some nice pillow hair, and I smile all the way to the bathroom. As I'm scratching my chin, now my cranium swims with questions I can't wait to ask you. Like, why did you bother with so many stars? Do you ever play tricks on the angels? And what happened to all of those dinosaurs? Was the garden of Deja vu. I guess in heaven I'll learn. I'll be waiting my turn to ask about quasars and feathers. I hope the line isn't long. I hope your patience is strong. It's a good thing forever's forever. I'll save all the questions for heaven. I'm saving up questions for heaven. All right, let's go ahead and pray here. Well, Lord Jesus, we do just thank you for this day. Thank you for bringing us all together. Lord, uh, we do have so many questions uh, for you uh, about heaven, about going to heaven, about what it's like, about so many things. Lord, I pray that this morning you would meet us here as we look at um, your claims about heaven and, and the route to heaven and, and all of the above. Lord, I pray you'd speak to each one of us pray you'd bring our thinking in line with your word. Lord, I pray that uh, you would answer some of the questions each one of us might have that, that might be different from another. But Lord, we just look to you. We ask that you'd bless this morning. We ask that you would bless this series, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen um, the confidence, the hope that each one has here this morning of heaven. And, uh, and Lord, we look to you for all this. We commit our time to you here, and we ask you to redeem it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, questions, questions about heaven. Anyone here have any questions about heaven? Raise your hand if you do. All right, we're going to start by, no, um, you know, there's, if you're like me, I've got a bunch of questions about heaven. 
Um, some of the questions I have might be the same questions that you have. Some of the questions that I have about heaven might be different than the ones you have. I think some questions about heaven are serious. Some questions about heaven are, are not that serious. Uh, around our house, I have been getting some questions about heaven. Um, recently, we had a, I don't know if you'd call it a tragedy or not, in our home at our chicken ranch. Um, we, had, we used to have six chickens. Now we do not have six chickens anymore. We have three chickens. But over the course of the last couple months, we've had some chicken fatalities, if you will. Um, and we lost one to a skunk on a trip. We, we went, we called home, we asked one of the girls we called Charity, Charity, you mind doing chick chores? She went to check on the chickens. She said, there's no chickens here. And we're like, what? Um, but we came back and we found one in the yard. We found uh, the, the yard smelled like skunk. A few of them were wandering around the neighborhood. And, um, but then uh, we got them all back. And uh, then not too long after that, we had another chicken thing happen. The raccoon got in there. And, you know, I think we scared off the raccoon. Uh, but somehow we're down anyways to three chickens. So, um, but my kids, you know, they kind of wonder, you know, will I see... Well, I, I see Ruthie again, you know, well, I see Chickie. Uh, sometimes they ask, you know, will there be cats and dogs in heaven? Um, one of the questions I get, one of my daughters asked me, do you think I'll get to be a dinosaur in heaven? Um, you know, some of these questions I, I don't have all the answers to. A few of them I do, I get a sense there'll probably be chickens and dogs and, and cats. I don't know if cats get to make it to heaven, you know. I think there's, a, there's some attitude rebellion issues there that I... <laughs> I don't know about that, but, you know, many, many different questions. But um, this morning, um, you know, and, and in this series, we're going to try to tackle a few of those questions. You might have seen the, um, uh, the, the card, the flyer that we're passing out on this. Uh, let's see which one that is. There we go. You know, we're going to look at a few different questions related to heaven. Next week, or, you know, uh, a couple weeks here, Greg Miller's going to talk about what, what is heaven like. Let's take a look at some of the pictures of heaven that we can expect uh, Tim Cavanaugh is going to speak one of the weeks on the seriousness of, of heaven, and, and really it's a message about the alternative to heaven. Uh, does hell exist? We're going to talk about some of the things that are eternal, the eternal facets of, of heaven, the joys, the everlasting bliss, and things like that. We'll talk about things at the end. Um, one week we're going to have a special guest speaker here that's going to do part of our message. Some of you have heard of Billy Graham. And he is going to be here live on the video projector system. Not live for that matter, but we're going to, he has a, his latest presentation that just released a couple weeks ago, and the topic happens to be on heaven. And he's going to share his hope related to heaven, and, and we'll follow that up. We're going to, you know, have that be a, a part of our time as well. But this morning, I'm going to tackle one question here. One question that, that my job is to look at is, and it's really this, is our hope about heaven? Is our hope of heaven reasonable? Is it a reasonable hope? Or are we just uh, walking by blind faith, jumping off a cliff with blind faith here? Is it reasonable? Um, and you know, there's some different uh, things to think about. One is, what is heaven anyways? What are you talking about here? A lot of people have a lot of different definitions. Um, you know, the heaven we're going to talk about, really, if I had one definition, it would be the dwelling place of God. The dwelling place of God. Uh, the future dwelling place of the righteous, those found righteous before God. A place of eternal bliss, eternal joy, 
many descriptions have it. It's not to be confused with other types of heaven that are even mentioned in the Bible. That, uh, there's the Jewish notion of, of three different types of heaven. It talks about like the, the birds of the heavens, the, kind of the biosphere heaven is one reference in, in the Bible. Another one is about the stars in the heaven, like the, the space and maybe the, the uh, celestial heaven, if you will. Um, and then there's heaven like where God exists. Celestial heaven, if you will, the third heaven. Some have referred to it as paradise. Um, there's a number of different references about heaven. The, the resting place, the, the Father's house, a heavenly country, um, a number of different things. But that's, that's the heaven we're going to talk about here. Um, but, you know, one question again is, is it, is it reasonable even to think about heaven? Where does this idea come from? What, you know, um, I think it's interesting to find that heaven has... Um, there are a number of different cultures that talk about heaven and this existence, the afterlife. I was reading an article here recently just about how, um, you know, from even the Neanderthal and the Cro-Magnon man um, were found, their graves were found with uh, some of their valuables, their valuable tools and artifacts buried alongside those who died. Ancient cultures, the Egyptian culture, Chinese cultures have traditions. Uh, current Stone Age tribes in New Guinea have traditions in order to prepare their loved ones for the journey after death. They bury them with valuables and, and precious things for that journey. Where did that come from? What about those people that have claimed to experience, personally experience, near-death near experiences of heaven and hell? You know, there's, there's why, why, why does that happen? Why is it, the thing I wonder about, why is it when those near-death experiences happen, and you think about the, the book that's out there, the movie that's out there, Heaven is for Real, but generally there's, there's two themes about these near-death experiences. One theme is that there's a place that people go and that they experience, and it's, it's amazing. Many people go, this, I don't want to leave this place. It's awesome. And often they, they have to come back, they get to come back. And then there's descriptions of other places that are just horrifying descriptions of a place that might be like hell, places where people don't want to go, they don't want to stay, and they're so glad they get to come back. But why are those two consistent themes throughout near-death experiences? You know, um, what about you? Maybe you've had personal experiences. Maybe you've sensed before things that, that are spiritual or eternal, things that are beyond the natural, um, whether it's through dreams or presences or things that, that you've personally experienced. What is that all about? You know, so there's, there's cultural things to be thinking about. There's experiential, there's personal, and, you know, I would even say there's, there's biblical things that relate to this. Obviously, um, it is the case that uh, here in Ecclesiastes 3.11, I love this verse. It says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. You know, the Bible would make a case that God has hardwired into every one of us, into you and me, a sense of eternity. It's wired into our soul. And, and yet, um, you know, I think it's interesting sometimes that people try to disconnect that wiring. I've talked to people before. Some, there's the idea, you've probably heard of the idea of nirvana, or, or the idea that you, you know, really nirvana, the essence of nirvana is to snuff out a desire for anything beyond what you currently experience. A desire for eternity, you know, you, there's suffering in this world because you desire something beyond 
your current existence. And if you could just snuff that out, you would experience nirvana. I would liken that to saying God has hardwired a sense of eternity into us and, and you don't like that feeling, so you try to disconnect it. I've talked to atheists on campus before who say, you know, when I finally came to grips with the idea of just nothingness, you know, it was, it was like I was just relieved. And again, I go, it's hardwired in. And people, almost an evidence for that is the fact that people have to deliberately try to undo the wiring. I liken it to the idea of uh, a check engine light on your vehicle, right? Anyone ever had a check engine light on their vehicle go off all the time, currently existing? Uh, yes. I, I know I grew up with a vehicle. We had this old, uh, I think it was a Chevy celebrity station wagon that went way too many miles. You know, I don't know the, the odometer went out long before it did, but the check engine light was on for a really long time. And my parents finally decided, you know, it's still running. Our mechanic says it's fine. I think back then, I don't know if you could check the codes uh, or how that worked, you know, but um, uh, they decided they were going to put, they got a, I think it was a playing card from a deck of cards, and they stuck it in the dashboard, and it blocked off the check engine service light that was on all the time. And they, they went on with life like that. And, you know, in some ways, I think this idea of a sense of something beyond, something... Um, there we go here. My buzz a little bit. Or trying not to spit too much. But that we have a new new microphone we're trying out here. It's kind of Garth Brooks style. I don't know if you know it can tell that, but uh someone said Justin Bieber style. I said Garth Brooks. I we'll try to relate to him. Um But anyways, that idea of, you know, this check engine light, we're trying to disconnect it, but you know, as it relates to a vehicle, it's really not that big of a deal. I've been driving a vehicle for this last year that someone gave to us as a gift just to commute here and there. It's had the check engine light on the whole time. I am still alive to tell of it, you know. Um, but when it comes to the idea of this, this sense that God has given us of eternity, the stakes are much higher. If we try to disconnect from that, you know, I think about other things that God has wired into us. He's given every human being a conscience, a conscience, a sense of what's right and wrong. And when someone undoes the wiring and disconnects from the wiring on that, what, what are they called? A sociopath, a psychopath. But when you disconnect the wiring related to eternity, I think the stakes are even higher because a sociopath, psychopath, they do their things in the few years that they have here on earth. But to have something disconnected from something that has eternal ramifications, I think it's a much bigger deal. And so we just want to... We need to catch that here. There, there's a sense, there's reason for this. We're going to look at this reason. Before we get to some of the reasons um, for our hope, we, I think we need to catch something here. One of the, I want to give you three truths this morning about heaven. Three truths that I believe every person needs to know. Every person in this room, every person on this planet needs to know these three truths. And uh, I hope you take hold of it. And I hope you take hold of it so much so that you could pass these truths on to others. Um, but, but the first blank that we have to fill out related to this is that God wants us to have a confident hope of heaven. You know, the blank could be God wants us to have a 50-50 uh, chance or 50-50 hope of heaven. God wants us to have eh, a semi-stable hope of heaven. God wants us to have no hope of heaven. You know, the blank is God wants us to have a confident hope of heaven. One of my favorite verses on this subject is, is this, it's found in the first letter of John, the Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. But he says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. 
If you believe in Jesus Christ here, I'm writing you so that you can know you have eternal life. Eternal life is synonymous with spending eternity in heaven with the God of heaven. It's synonymous with spending eternity with your heavenly Father. But things have been written so that you and I can know. That's not have a, just a hope. That's not be 50-50 sure. There's a confidence that you can have about eternity that God wants you to have. You need to know that. And a couple reasons why. Why does he want us to have that confidence? One is because it's true. It's true, and God has revealed to us, hey guys, I know you're living in this temporary physical world and you have these different things, but here's something you've got to catch that's a much bigger deal. Sure, the sky is blue, and that's true, and things you experience here, that's true, but there's truths that will affect you for eternity that you've got to catch, and, and truths about heaven. Uh, a few verses on that. I think of this passage here. I'll just read a couple of them, but Jesus is speaking, and there's a classic passage in here. Sometimes I don't think we realize that it's in this context. But he says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. This is the evening before he is to take the cross and take our sins upon his cross. And that evening he, he's telling his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. If you're looking for a hint that Jesus was communicating he was God in the flesh, there is a really good one right there. He goes on to say, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, if it weren't the truth, I would have told you. But he goes on to say, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And he goes on to say, uh, you know, Thomas is asking him, Lord, we don't know um, where you're going. Uh, how, can we, how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, classic line, when it comes to knowing the way to heaven, when it comes to knowing the truth about heaven, when it comes to knowing about eternal life, Jesus said this, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You know, he wants us to know that it's really true, guys. There's a lot of ramifications, relational ramifications. There's a place he wants to prepare for you. Other things we, we need to know, we need to have a confident hope, not a wishy-washy hope, because so that we can be faithful to the end. He wants you and I to be faithful followers, faithful disciples to the very end. And to the end could mean a lot of things. To the end of your life could mean... You live a number, a number of years, and you just die of natural causes or old age, you know. And yet, Jesus promised, you will have trials in this life. There will be trials to enter the kingdom of heaven. Acts is very clear on that, recorded that. But, um, but you know, what if some other scenarios play out? What if, um, what, you know, what if we make it to the, the end times, to the rapture, and Christ returns for us? The scriptures are very clear. Those times will be chaotic. Those times will be unequaled in the terrors that will play out during that time. And if we make it to that time, we need to be confident about where we're going. Um, you know, also just um, to be faithful to the end, you know, um, there scriptures, again, I've got some verses, we'll just fly through, but um, the scriptures say that there will be all, the sequence of events, one of the things that it's being held off related to is, uh, in Revelations it says, there is a certain number of martyrs, a certain number of believers in Jesus Christ who must die before this begins to play out. Brothers and sisters, it could be the case that you and I would be put in a situation where we either deny our faith and the claims of Jesus Christ and live, or we cling to them and we die. And that is going on on this planet right now. There's places where that's going on. Some of you might not realize that in Syria, where this whole ISIS thing is taking place, it's not in the forefront of the media, 
Christians are dying there. They will die there today because they do not renounce their faith in Jesus Christ and turn to the God of Islam. There will be our brothers and sisters who will die this day there based on these beliefs. And you know our goal as a church, our heart, my heart and the pastors here is that we make Christians who are faithful to the end. Disciples of Jesus Christ who are willing to give their life if it came to that. Maybe it will not. I just read an article here from uh, the Voice of Martyrs that's talking about a family there in Syria and how they prepared their kids. This, this husband and wife, two kids, and they say, you know, the wife is doing this interview. You can look it up on Voice of the Martyrs um, on their website there, but she's saying, I went and wrestled with God and I was willing to die for my faith. And then there was the idea, well, what about if I take your husband? And she went and wrestled with God and came to a piece of, you know, my husband is yours, and, and if you take his life, I, I, I'll deal with that. And then she said the hardest one was if some reason God allowed her children to be taken. And she wrestled through that, and she and her husband felt like, you know what, the times they're living in there, they had to sit their kids down and say, there are men that are probably going to come for us, and they're probably going to kill us, and don't you, don't you deny Jesus. You believe Jesus, don't you deny it because you're afraid to die. Don't deny it if they kill us. And, you know, she... It went on to say, just to document the story, that uh, one of the days after they had talked to their children about it, they, they were out, and men came for them, and they were not there, and they left writing on their mirror in their home that just said, we came to slaughter you. And, and this family is still clinging to their faith in Jesus Christ today. But our hope is not to make wishy-washy consumer Christians that are trying to live comfortable, convenient lives in the United States of America Men and women, I think it's going to get more serious than that sooner than you realize. And I just want to let you know, this is what our church is all about. If you're looking for something a little more easygoing, you know, there's a lot of other places to look. But we're serious here about following Jesus Christ to the end. And I'm here to tell you, I believe there's good reason for that. And so let's, uh, let's keep going here. You know, again, we've got to be confident about this, guys, because we've got a mission. You know, our mission has entirely to do with these truths. I think about the first disciples that were following Jesus. And at one point they said this about Peter and John. Peter, who was formerly a, a coward, a chicken, a, a goober. But they said this about Peter. He said, uh, they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. A lot like your pastors, a lot like you and I. Um, and yet they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. They saw their courage. And what was their courage about? Were they just doing daring, dumb things? No, the two verses that precede that, they're proclaiming a message about the claims of Jesus Christ and the fact that they crucified him in that city there. And it says, He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven. No other name that's been given to us to get to heaven by which we must be saved. And they're proclaiming that message because Jesus gave them a mission. And he said, go into all the world and preach, proclaim this good news to all creation, to everyone, everywhere is what the, how the Living Bible puts it. And, and that was their command. And sometimes we say, well, man, that's a tough command they got. But this next command, you know, it's also part of the Great Commission. It's, uh, he told these disciples, here, I've told you to go take this message to the world. Uh, by the way, I want you to go make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey everything I commanded you. Men and women, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, part of your mission, your mission is to take this message, take hold of it, 
and take it to the ends of the earth. One of our, our mottos around here is we want to reach the world with Jesus, starting right here. This is our God-given mission. We've got to be confident. You know, here's what, how it comes down practically. If you're not confident about eternal life, about going to heaven, are you going to tell others about it? No. Statistics say very clearly, no. There was a study done, I think it was back in the 80s, by Campus Crusade for Christ. And as they surveyed people, this is the 80s or the 90s, I think it's the 90s, um, uh, a book called Witnessing Without Fear. But they said, and their findings was that Christians, um, that they found roughly 2% of Christians were actively declaring their faith. 2% of the followers of Jesus Christ actively sharing their faith. My question for you all, are you in the 2% or are you in the 98%? My hope is to be in the 2%. By God's grace, I'm in the 2%. By God's grace, a number of you are in the 2%. I think the statistics, I don't know if they're better or worse than them, but those are really slim numbers there. We've got a God-given mission, guys. Um, the, the other thing we've got to catch, so, so the first point is we've got to have, God wants us to have a confident hope about heaven, guys. It's, it's a part of the equation. If that's not your world, if that's not your thinking, you, you're either going to have to change your thinking and bring it in line with God's, you're going to try to have to change God's mind is the other option there, or just you don't care. Um, I would encourage you to bring your thinking in line with God's, and, and that's what I have to try to do every day myself. But um, the next point I want to talk about here is that um, the stakes for being right or wrong on this issue, on the claims of Jesus Christ and his followers that are recorded in the Bible, the stakes are enormous. We've got to catch that. The, the stakes are really high. They're enormous, they're eternal, might be the other E word you could put in there. Why I gave you an E as a hint in your blanks, I don't know, but the stakes are enormous. And we're going to look at a couple facets of that. Here's what Jesus had to say about this. Jesus said this as he's speaking to some skeptics, skeptics at the time. He said, he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You know, many times he said, hey, by the way, guys, I'm from heaven. I'm telling you about it. I'm showing you a life-related things that would authenticate that. And, and now you're going to have to make some beliefs related to that. But he said, I'm from above, you're from below, and you are of this world, and I am not of this world. And if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. What you believe about the claims of Jesus Christ and about what the, the apostles witnessed and recorded and, and lived and died for, what you believe about those claims have enormous consequences. Uh, the stakes are extremely high there, guys. Um, Jesus spoke about this is how it's going to play out. He said, he was speaking in Matthew 25 about, hey, here's what it's kind of going to be like at the end when it's time for judgment. There'll be two groups of people. He talks about that. But he said, one will go away to eternal punishment, those who are found unrighteous before their maker. And the other, the righteous will go to eternal life. Jesus, the friendly, loving Jesus, said there will be eternal punishment, eternal death. We'll let Tim talk more about that in his message in a couple weeks here. But uh, the, the stakes are high. You know, we're going to just look at this real quickly that um, I want to share with you just something to think about. And maybe you've heard of it before. It's called Pascal's Wager. Um, and, and Pascal said this. You know, he said, really, here's a way you can look at it, guys. Here's some way you can boil this down to think about it quite simply and think about the enormous ramifications. But either these claims about heaven and hell and eternity that Jesus and the apostles recorded, either these claims are true, 
They really are historical events that have taken place and they're true or they are false. They can only be one or the other. Now, related to them being true or false, then you and I have a chance. Either we believe these claims or we do not believe these claims. And here's a little truth table here, very basic, uh, very, very basic truth table here. But some of the options are, if these claims that they've recorded are true, the claims that we have in this book right here, if they're true and you believe them, there is a promise of eternal life. There's a promise of everything you could ever imagine, you could ever want. If it's really true and you believe it, that, that's what's on the top side, the upside there. If this is really true and you do not believe it, or someone you love, one of your friends, your family, someone does not believe this, and it's really true, guess what's at stake? Eternal death. The worst eternity imaginable. Um, you know, there's, there's different sayings about it. Obviously, eternity is the wrong thing to be wrong about. Um, uh, there's an anonymous quote I came up with that says something like, um, uh, an eternal mistake takes forever to recover from, right? Eternal mistakes. It's the wrong thing to be wrong. But there's other, someone else I've heard said, said it like this, that they just said, uh, eternity, for, for someone who gets this wrong, eternity is a long time to think about how wrong you were. You know, hell is not going to be a pleasant place. Sometimes I've had this picture of, you know, you go to heaven and hell, and then while you're there, you kind of live as a different person. But I heard Tom Short describe the idea of hell being a place where People continue to do every evil and vile thing that they did here, but they do it all the more. There is swearing, there is lying, there is hatred, there is everything vile that goes on there for eternity. That's the wrong thing to be wrong about, guys. Now, here's the deal. If this is not true, and we're going to talk about some of the claims of you know, why someone would say it's not true and what evidence would they have for that. Um, but if it's not true and we believe it, what, what do we lose? You know what, guys? We, we, there's not much to lose there. We're in the same boat as the atheists and everybody else. You know, whatever that thing is, maybe you, you get reincarnated. Maybe you just dissolve and decay and become a part of planet Earth. Uh, whatever it is, we're in the same boat as them. And, and that's, you know, if this is, is not true and you believe it, or if it is uh, true, not true and you don't believe it, it doesn't really matter. We're all in the same boat. In some ways, I like to look at it like this. On one hand, it's like you have two options here. If you bet on the claims of the Bible, it's, it's really like on the one hand, if you're right, there's, you know, if you think of it monetarily, billions of dollars you could win for being right. And if you're wrong on bet A, you can win billions of dollars, or if you're wrong, you could lose 100 bucks. Now, the other bet that you could make is if you're right uh, about your beliefs that heaven doesn't exist or something, you could win 100 bucks. You could win if you get it right. And if you're wrong, you lose a billion dollars. You go into a debt that you can never pay. That's what's at stake here. Now, eventually we have to go, well, what are we betting on, you know? And, and that would make a difference, and that's what we're going to talk about here. But we've got to realize the stakes are too high. Now, some people will say, well, you can't use Pascal's argument, you know, scare someone into heaven because it's such a big risk to be wrong, and you just scare them into heaven. Well, you know, I get that, and that's not my point here today to scare anybody into heaven. But, but I do think we've got to catch this, that, that God has designed life to have kind of two sides here. There are warning for choices that are wrong, choices that are uh, against God's will. There are warnings about that. 
And there are rewards and promises for choices that are right, that are in line with what God wants us to do. We've got to catch that. And I think of it like the idea of jumping off a cliff. You know, some people say, well, you're not going to scare me into heaven. You're talking about the fear of God and all that. Well, imagine you're at the edge of a cliff. You know, and there's both of these things are true about the cliff. You're looking down, hundreds of feet down. You know, there's warnings there. There's bad news about that. If you jump off that cliff, you're going to probably have a really hard landing. It's going to be really rough. You're going to break some things. You'll probably die. Um, and yet, if you don't jump off that cliff, you have a bunch of good things as well. You have all your relationships. You have your life ahead of you, things like that. Now, someone might say, oh, I, it's not fair to tell someone they'll, they'll die if they jump off this cliff. You know what? Uh, have you ever stood on the edge of a cliff in real life? And you kind of go, bad idea. That bad idea. For me, sometimes that, that's a bigger motivator at the time. I go, that just that would not make sense, the bad part of that. And, and the good part, yeah, I love my family and all that. Bad, good. You know, they're, they're both, you know. And for my own personal story, when it came to heaven and hell, I had a sense that hell was bad. I had a sense I would go there because of the life that I had lived. And I had a sense that I did not want to go there. And yeah, all the other promises were good. But to say that that's not a right motivator, that you've been warned about the dangers of what could happen, I, I think both of them, they're God-given. They're both right. Now, one of them's positive, one of them's negative, but they're both true. We just have to realize, don't let someone tell you, oh, you can't, I can't be so negative about it. Well, there are some things to be careful about here, guys. Um, and you can not jump off the cliff because the positives, or you can not jump off because of the negatives here. But I believe there is a cliff related to these claims, and we have to see about that. Um, the stakes are too high. You know, the point I want to make here, I don't want to persuade anyone because of the fear of death. I want to persuade people because, I, I want to persuade you to search it out. The stakes are too high to be complacent about this, guys. The stakes are too high to take the status quo. There was a day and age in the United States of America where the status quo, the default was you're a Christian by birth. You're born into it. You have to live it out. Most everybody did it. We're not living in those days anymore. The status quo today, if you go to a, a public institution, if you listen on the, the news and on the media, the status quo, the default is away from God. The default is to doubt these claims. The default is, uh, you know, to call, you know, here's some things here. People call you and I, if you believe the claims of the Bible, these historic events, if you believe that these are true, some people will call you ignorant. Some people will call you unintelligent. Some people will say, you believe fairy tales. Um, recently here, there was an article I read that quotes Stephen Hawking is saying that Christians like you and I are really just believing fairy tales. You know, there's this extremely intelligent person, but he's saying, hey, when it comes to, to this, they're just believing fairy tales. And, and the question becomes, well, well uh, you know, what is the evidence? What are we betting on here, guys? And is our bet a reasonable bet to make or not? And we're going to close looking at that. You know, I just want to make this point. The case for heaven is extremely reasonable. Extremely reasonable. The case for heaven, the credibility of heaven, you might say, is incredible. The believability of heaven is unbelievable. Those ones, they have some nuances with those words and what the root words mean and all that. But uh, this doesn't. The case for heaven is extremely reasonable, guys. We need to know that. And so again, it comes down to some things that are really pretty straightforward. I think sometimes we can think it's more complicated than it is. But the re reality, again, is that either these claims that Jesus made, that he, he came from heaven, he's going back to heaven, he is the way to heaven, either these claims are, are really true or they're not. 
And, and what does the evidence say? And we're going to take a quick look at what does the evidence say about believing these claims. And I believe they're true, and I know many of you do as well. But what does the evidence say here? Here's a few things we're going to look at. We'll fly through some of these. Well, Jesus, Jesus made a ton of claims about it. It's not that he didn't speak to it. We need to realize he claimed to be the way to heaven. He claimed to be God in the flesh. This verse here uh, in John, 20, uh, John 10, 30 and 33 just talks about they were going to stone him for blasphemy because a mere man was claiming to be from heaven, to be God in the flesh, to be the way to get to heaven, to be the Messiah. And, and they didn't believe it. But should they have? And I would make the case that they should have. Um, he gave proofs for these claims. He lived a sinless life, as you would expect God in the flesh to do. He performed miracles never before done. Um, he fulfilled prophecy. He showed probably the kicker of all the, the evidence that he gave for his claims was that he rose from the dead. And so um, those some of the proofs. Some other proofs we have are, are the witnesses the witnesses of Jesus. There's the claims. There's the proof that Jesus gave, and there's the witnesses of Jesus, also known as the apostles. Part of be, being an apostle, apostle, the first 12, was that you were there from the beginning to the end, from when he first went public to when he died and rose again. You had to be, to be in that group. You had to be one, uh, to be one of the 12. You had to be there. You had to be a witness. They, you know, John says that they, they saw him, they touched him, and they proclaimed what they saw and, and what they experienced. Uh, they proclaimed it as fact here. Acts 2.32 says, We are witnesses to these facts. They believed, they recorded, and they witnessed historical facts. They did not die because they believed or thought something was true, that they had no reason to believe. They, they had reason to believe they were there. They recorded it. They gave their lives for it. They, they recorded it as fact. They lived and they died for their truth claims. Most of them gave their lives as martyrs who were called to renounce their claims and did not. Obviously, we know the Apostle John. They tried to martyr him. He lived, but he went on to write even more about heaven after that. And so um, the case for heaven is extremely reasonable. Now, what is the evidence that, that maybe it's not true? You know, there's a couple ways that people, a couple boxes that fall into. Some say maybe it wasn't true, and then Jesus just tried to deceive people. He knew it wasn't true, but he tried to deliberately deceive people. He, he was lying. He, he tried to produce a great hoax. Well, you know, there's no evidence for that. There's no writings that Jesus was this known liar for 30 years leaving up to his public ministry, and, and somehow it's documented that it was really a hoax, and he talked to all these people. There, there's, there's nothing for that, guys. Um, there are false documents. There's things that people tried to do, false teachings back then that were not accepted by the early church, and they were rejected as false. But even those are are few and far in between nowadays. That the proof, the manuscripts that we have of these accounts are, uh, Josh McDowell documents is, is it over 24,000 copies or fragments or pieces of, of their accounts. Some of these other things have minuscule amounts in comparison. They talk about the Iliad, Iliad and the Odyssey having like 70 copies or something like that. We have 24,000. Some people say it's just word of mouth. It was just passed on by oral tradition. How in the world do you get 24,000 copies of things if it's just oral tradition, guys? That doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but there's no proof that it, he was deceiving or a, a liar. Well, some would say, well, maybe he was just deceived. Maybe Jesus just thought he was God in the flesh. He just kind of thought he was. He was just a lunatic. He thought, you know, C.S. Lewis writes, just like someone who thought they were a poached egg. Maybe Jesus was just like that. Um, well, again, you look at 
the historical record about Jesus and the disciples, and, and you go, that's just not in there. And then you look at what he taught and how he lived, and you go, that was not the work of a lunatic. That was not the work of someone. Some would say, like Stephen Hawking would say, it's just mythology, it's just folk stories. These guys got swept away in this big fairy tale. You know, guys, that's just not what the evidence says. Um, now, some would say, okay, well, uh, the accounts that were recorded were changed. Somebody orchestrated this big changing event, you know. And, and sometimes we can think about that on a microcosm. I go, okay, yeah. So there was this one monk that that day had a little too much to drink while he was making copies from, from Latin to English, and you know, he, he misspelled a word or something. But, you know, it would take more than one drunk monk to kind of get things wrong here. It would have to be an orchestrated, uh, an orchestrated thing to get so many people to say the same thing um, on so many different languages in so many different manuscripts. Uh, you know what, guys? Here, here's what I would say about this. Um, to believe that Jesus was deceived or they created a hoax. To believe that Jesus... Uh, just thought he was, or the disciples thought this was all true, it was just some fairy tale, they, they just didn't know any better. To believe that somebody changed this, I would say each one of those takes unbelievable amounts of faith to believe that. And you know what? Each one of those has much, much, much less evidence backing it. So some of these guys that come off intellectual, oh yeah, I know a lot of things about you know physics and all this stuff, but guys, when it comes to this, historical facts, um, there is really very little evidence at all, and it's not credible evidence for the cases against this book. And the evidence for the claims that Jesus made and his apostles recorded, it's unbelievable, guys. We have an extremely solid case here, and you've got to know that. We need to know that. This day and age that we live in, you've got to realize that. It's what God wants for you. It's how you can be faithful to the end. It's how you can carry out your mission here. And, you know, it's... I honestly think to believe the alternative here, it takes more faith than I could have. To believe that it was just one gigantic hoax, I go, I mean, the story in and of itself is pretty incredible, but to believe that there's a story behind the story, that the whole thing was manufactured and there's no evidence for that, that takes way more faith than I've got. Atheists don't like to say that their, their views take faith, but you look at the same evidence here, guys, that takes a lot more faith to believe that than what you and I have. Yeah, we weren't there. We didn't get to touch Jesus. We didn't get to go, he is alive and there's the holes and, and like Thomas. You know, but Thomas doubted and it was recorded his account there so that you and I would not have to doubt that account, you know. And, um, and I'm so glad he did. And Jesus went on to say, hey, Thomas, you believe. You know, uh, you said, you know, he responded to Jesus, my Lord, my God. And, and Jesus says, you believe because you've seen all this, but blessed are those who, who believed and they didn't get to see it. Men and women, we can have a confident hope about this. We've really got to. And, you know, just um, closing thoughts here. These, these are very, very reasonable claims to believe, guys. And the alternatives, I would say they just lack credibility that I'm willing to, to step out in faith on, guys. Uh, we have something we can be confident about. We have something we can back with evidence. And, and don't let some skeptic, some atheist, even some scientific skeptical atheist tell you, anything other than that, because they will not. I remember talking to a guy on campus once. He said, yeah, you know what? They destroyed all the documents. All the documents that were actually the actual things that happened, they destroyed them all, and the Christian kept all the ones that they made up. And I was like, wow, that is, that is wild to believe that, buddy. I am much 
happier to be in my camp than I am than you would in your camp there. You know, you've got nothing to support that. And you're saying they destroyed all the documents? I, I go, that's a tougher argument to make than the one I make. I make these, these claim to have happened. There's many records of that. There's lives that were chained men who gave their lives for this. And that's what I'm going on. It's faith, but it's pretty darn reasonable. And you're telling me your argument is based on the absence of evidence. Hey, good luck to you on that, but won't you consider this, huh? And we've got to realize it, it's that big of a deal. Uh, again, though, more than just acknowledging these intellect, intellectual facts, you know, there's really it's, there's a personal response that's qu uh, required to this. You can just say, oh, all that's true. But, you know, it's more than just acknowledging, hey, yeah, that's all true. Jesus existed, da-da-da. The, the, the apostles recorded it. They died for it. You can acknowledge that and really still not be going to heaven, guys. Uh, heaven is more than just acknowledging the facts. It's a personal response to the claims of Jesus Christ. It's a personal response to the person of Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And, and I hope that you realize it's like Thomas here. You know, there's all these facts and they're saying, hey, he's alive and we saw him and they're telling the facts. But eventually it comes down to you and I have to say like Thomas, my Lord, my God, and that is the way to heaven. And you need to make sure that that's where you're at here. And so anyways, uh, we're just going to close here. You know, again, that's, uh, I love this. Jesus says, because you've seen, you believe, but blessed are those who've not seen and yet have believed. And, and later on that same passage, you know, this, I love this from the Apostle John. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, eternal life. Let's go ahead and pray. Well, Lord Jesus, we do just thank you for this morning. Lord, I just thank you that you came from heaven to earth to show us what God is like, to show us what love is like, to show us the way to heaven, the truth about heaven and hell and eternity in God. We thank you that you took a cross to, to pay for our sins. We thank you that you've promised eternal life to those who believe. Thank you that uh, though, though you've left, that you promised to return. Lord God, I pray you would make each one of us stronger believers than, than we've been up to now. Stronger believers today as we walk out of here than when we came in here. Lord, I pray that you help us not only just believe, but that we would follow and obey you to the very end. Lord, whether that's uh, your return, whether that's martyrdom, or whether that's old age, Lord, we ask that you would help us to be faithful to you to the very end. We pray that for everyone in this church and, and everyone we try to reach, Lord, that, that's our goal. And please help us in that. Thank you for all that you've given us, that it's a reasonable hope that we have. We thank you for that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for coming this morning. Have a, a great rest of your day, and I hope to catch you next Sunday for part two.